I'd like to bow to you again in prayer as we listen to God's word. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for this great theme that we see all through scripture, that you are on a rescue mission. And we would pray that you would speak to us now in very personal terms about that. And we pray these things uh, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We've been hearing all through today about how in this past week the children in our church and and children in our community have been exposed to this message that Jesus is on a rescue mission for us. And you heard the themes today, very interesting themes, that when we are lonely, when we worry, when we do wrong, and when we struggle. And you know what? I'm going to give the kids one more chance. When else do you get to scream in church, kids? Okay. So we're going to pick uh, uh, Mrs. Justine's favorite one, which is when we do wrong. So I'm going to say it here in a moment, and then I want every one of you to do the, the life preserver action and then scream the answer. When we worry, Jesus rescues. Wow, that was pretty good. You should have heard them this week. They were doing great as well, but that was really good. Jesus rescues. And this is something that he literally offers not just to children, but to teenagers and young adults and people of all ages. To each person, and here's the thing, to each person that would personally choose to accept it. It's not forced on a person. It's offered graciously by God, by a God that loves us, to be received and acted upon when we're willing to receive it. And so it's a very personal choice, and it's the kind of choice that dramatically changes the trajectory of our lives. And when Jesus has really rescued us, part of that transformation is this sense, there's just no way I want to keep this to myself. This is so life-giving, what Jesus has done in rescuing me, that I want to share this with others. And this is very much in keeping this idea with the current series of messages that we're doing in our church, which are called This Is Us. And this flows out of our purpose statement, this, this theme. And the purpose statement is, or the mission type statement, is, is this idea of what do we want to be about as a church. And what we did years ago is we looked at dozens and dozens, perhaps hundreds of scriptures. And we said, what do these scriptures say about what God would have us be about as a church? We read them and studied them carefully, the leadership here, and we brought together and coalesced them together into a statement, which you see on the wall behind me. And I'd like us to read that together to hear about what we are as a church. So let's read together. To exalt Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, therefore, in his power, while demonstrating his love, we will reach, teach, and equip people to know, love, and serve him. So he said, everything we do as a church, we want it to exist within that framework. We want it to be reflective of that. And so we, we sat down and we said, in light of that, what are the key values that we want to espouse and live by as a church? What are the key biblical values that sort of rise up out of this statement? And we came up with seven of them, and we've been working through these this summer. We've talked already about prayer. We've talked about discipleship. We've talked about community and worship. And today, we're going to talk about mission. Because Jesus 
wants to rescue not only us, but all the peoples of this world. And I could tell you so many stories like you heard today from Rachel of people that have been come and are now international workers. Of Curtis and Linda, many of us in our church know Curtis and Linda, who are now down in Paraguay, just went back there a week ago. Of Larry and Barb, of Buzz and Myrna, of Christy Hoff, who's going back to Africa, uh, one of the countries in Africa soon. Of Kim and Roxanne, who are also in North Africa. And this morning, like I said, you heard part of the story of Rachel. And all of these people who are international workers, all of them have left home and went to a very different place. And you heard with Rachel how that was a four-year process for her, of God speaking into her life and moving her in that direction. You know that Rachel lived in Calgary, and she had a, a nice life there, a very productive life. Her family lives in Calgary. She had a very responsible job working in the ICU at Foothills Hospital in Calgary. And she left all that was familiar to her to go to a very new place, a very different place than she's used to. And it's not that she has, doesn't, or, or those other folks I refer to, I'm not suggesting they don't have a good life where they are. But why, why would they do that? Leave all that's familiar. Was it because uh, they were just bored with life here in Canada? Probably not. Is it they're, they're just adventure junkies and they got to get that adrenaline rush to go through life? Well, they're probably prone to enjoy adventure, that type of person, but I don't think that's at the heart of it. Maybe they just always wanted to live in that particular area of the world where they are now. And that might be part of the motivation, but I don't think that's the compelling, overriding reason. Why would she leave her life in Calgary to go there? Why would she take that kind of risk? Why would she set about learning a very difficult language and a new culture? Why would she change her life so significantly and leave the security of home and, and a really good job? Can I suggest to you that for her and for the others that I mentioned, it's because they came to the fundamental realization that something of eternal value was at stake. And you heard her refer to that earlier. It's almost like something more important than life itself is driving them. And I think it can be capitalized well in some verses in Scripture. So if you have a Bible... Um, if you want to turn with me to the book of Mark, Mark is the second book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table there. We'd be happy to lend you one or just give you one if you don't have a Bible and need one. Mark chapter 16, very well-known verses, and, and they epitomize many other verses in the Scripture. So I'm just going to read two verses, and Jesus is speaking, and uh, he's wrapping up his time with his leadership team, his disciples here on earth, and he says to them and he says to us, sort of a final reminder that Rachel referenced as we were um, interviewing her a few minutes ago. Jesus said to them in verse 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. 
Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So Jesus says, here's something that's really important. And he's asking this question to each person. Is mission real for you? Now, certainly not every one of us can or certainly not all of us should become international workers. But every single person that's here this morning that's been personally rescued by Jesus has a part to play. Every single person that's been rescued by Jesus, when we've been sincerely transformed by him, there's this desire not to hoard what Jesus has done for us. Because if I sit there and go, I've got this and that's all I care about, that's inherently selfish. That's not indicative of a life that's been transformed. And so we have this desire, I'd love to see my neighbor come to know Jesus in the personal way that I have. I'd love to see my loved ones and my family. I'd love to see the people in Quebec. I'd love to see the people all around the world. I'd like to be involved either directly or indirectly with those that are in different parts of the world sharing Christ with them. Because when your life has been rescued by Jesus, you don't want to keep it to yourself. You want to be involved in the process of seeing someone else and many others having this wonderful relationship with Christ. Whether it's across the street or in North Africa or in Erie and Jones. So how do I get passionate about this? The first, and I'm going to suggest the most important thing, at least it is for me, is I have to ask myself the question, do I actually believe what the Bible says? If you're here today and, and you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, the temptation is to just, for us is to just say the right things because we know the right things to say. But verses like this force us to stop and say, do I actually believe what I believe? Do I actually believe what I believe? Because there's so many other verses and truths like this in Scripture. And for some of us, and sadly for an increasing number of us, it's very difficult for us to swallow what Jesus is saying here. And yet this is a consistent message right from the opening chapters of the book of Genesis all through Scripture. That God loves all the peoples of the world. And he desperately wants a relationship with us. This is why Jesus came. This is why he gave his life. And he said, I make this offer to you freely and very personally. But understand this. It's an exclusive thing. It's a unique thing. It's kind of a line in the sand thing. That's what those verses tell you. And this is not my opinion. It's not some guy that wrote a book or some woman that spoke in a message somewhere. It's... It's just what Christ says in the Bible. And it's what the scripture says over and over again. And it says this, that every human being that's ever existed has done things to separate themselves from a holy God. The third day of day camp this week is Jesus rescues 
when we do wrong, that's the biblical truth they were eliminating. That every one of us has made sinful choices to sever relationship with God. This is at the heart of why Jesus came. He came, the Bible says, in a substitutionary manner to, to die and step into the gap on our behalf. And the Bible says that all of our sin was laid on him. And he took it for us. And this is why he died. This is why he went to the cross. This is why he rose from the dead. And he says, I offer to you, based on what I did for you, forgiveness. When you acknowledge your sin, when you ask for forgiveness of your sin, when you then, in that sense, receive him as Savior. And secondly, and most, and equally important, in fact, you can't have one without the other, when you surrender your life utterly to him, I will enable you to become my chosen child. And I will rescue you. And so this is a crucial question that you have to wrestle through. Don't just say it because it's the politically correct thing to say. Wrestle through this. Do I really believe what Scripture says here about God's offer to each human being? Do I really, am I compelled by this? Or am I not sure about it? If you're not sure, it's time to investigate it. Do I really believe this? Because we will never get passionate about any of the stuff we've talked about until we come to the place where we actually believe what we believe. Because when you believe it, it changes you. So how will we be different when we believe this? How will we be different? Well, there's a number of ways. Let me just go through a few of them. We will be more grateful than we can ever imagine for our relationship with God. In fact, this will become a, a redundant in a good way. It will become a, a, a regular theme of our lives where we'll just say, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the grace I can't believe he did that for me. I can't stop thanking him for forgiving me. The sweetness of knowing that I'm forgiven by almighty God, it brings me a peace that I can't even put into words. And so over and over again, we say, thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for making a difference in my life. The Bible would say, every day that we take breath here on earth, and then for all eternity. This is the promise, this is the offer of God. And then, as I've already kind of indicated, if that really has transformed me and changed me in that way, then secondly, I have this desire to see others rescued by Jesus. Because when I really believe this and it's changed my life in that way, I want others to be rescued by Jesus. I want to become involved in giving everyone a quality opportunity to accept Christ. I want to be involved in a way that they understand and can make an informed decision. This continues to play out in a number of ways when we really believe this, but let me, let me, let me go to this one because of the theme of our message today. I wonder 
if there's some people here that God has put or is putting in your life the call like he did with Rachel to be an international worker, to be a full-time, long-term, vocational worker. Has God been whispering anything like that in your life? Let me read to you from the book of Acts. And this call, it looks different for, for each person. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 16. Let me just give you one example. And it will be a little bit different than what Rachel's call was like. And it's a little different for each person, but it will have some level of similarity. So in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6, it says this, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Isn't that interesting? You know, sometimes we think, I'm just supposed to scatter like a shotgun this stuff out there. No, what we're really supposed to do is say, God, where would you have me go? And what would you have me say? And what would you have me do? Because he knows way better than us where to do it, what to say, and what to do. And so they were heading towards Asia, Paul and his companions, all ready to preach Jesus, to plant churches, to do all that good stuff, to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. The Spirit of God said no. And so they listened, and they did exactly what they were told. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. A second time. Well, it didn't work over here in Asia, so let's go over here to the Bithynia. And the Spirit of God said to them, no, the time is not right for them right now. Don't go there. Interesting. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over here to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, God will give very specific directions. Where to go, what to do, what to say. So I ask you, has God given you any kind of a vision? Has he given you a sense of calling to be a career, vocational, full-time, international worker? A bunch of words. If there's any semblance of that in your life, I would invite you to talk to Rachel. Hear some more of her story. And again, your story would be different than hers and different than this one a little bit. But there'll be some similarities because God is directing you. Talk to her, talk to me. You know, when I was 20 years old, I was at a party with a bunch of people. And uh, this other international worker was in the room. And he had been stationed in Colombia for a number of years. His name was Stuart Lightbody. And I had actually known Stuart for a few years at that point. And in front of all of these people, point blank, he says, so Scott, are you going to be a missionary? Are you going to be an international worker? Puts me on the spot. And I said, no, I don't think so. And in his very direct, which was normal for Stuart, in his very direct fashion, he says, why? And then he leaned forward to hear my answer, as did everyone else in the general vicinity. And, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of stuttered. 
and I stammered, and I turned red, and I generally embarrassed myself. But that night, and in the days that followed, I did a lot of praying and a lot of thinking. See, God had put a different call on my life earlier in my life when I was 16. But it was time to just revisit that again and make sure I'd really clearly heard. And as I prayed and as I thought and as I considered, God confirmed very strongly for me again that he had not called me to be an overseas international type person, but to be a pastor. And you know what? That was okay. That was exactly, just like he said to Paul and the boys, don't go to Asia, don't go to Bithynia right now, go over to Macedonia. It was absolutely okay. And so your call might be one of those, but entirely likely it's something else. Have you asked him? Have you asked him? Don't ever get this, you know, sometimes we have this warped thinking in the church that uh, because a young woman like Rachel has taken some pretty significant risks and moved from where she's familiar to a place she'd never been, that somehow in the eyes of God, she's a little bit better than us. She's a little more spiritual than us. Little, you know, God goes, oh, she gets some extra check on. Not true. We've taught this often. There's nothing we can do or not do that will cause God to love us any more or any less. He loves us perfectly as we are. And she's not better than anyone else. He would never pretend to do that, but some people think this way. God wants you exactly where he wants you. He's created you to be in a certain place. And he wants you to invite him to lead that process to direct our life as he sees fit. I was so glad that Stuart did that to me and pushed me to seriously consider again what God would have me do. And it doesn't matter what age you are here this morning. Have you asked that question? Does God want you to be an international worker? Ask, right now I'm going to ask in particular the teenagers and the children and the young adults. Have you asked him what call he's put on your life? You might be 40. It's okay for you to ask that question too, or even 60, whatever. But in particular, let me ask the children and the teenagers and the young adults. Have you asked him, what is your call in my life? And you may be, say you're a young adult, and you're in school or you're doing whatever, and you're all set up to do this in life. And it may well be that that's exactly what God wants you to do. And if it is, that's exactly what you should do. But it may be that he wants to lift you out of that and say, no, I don't want you going to Asia. I want you to do this. And he sends you in a different direction. I do know this. Listen to me here. You will never, ever, ever be truly fulfilled in life until you seriously allow God to answer that question in your life. I invite you to do it. You can ask Rachel. When we put that call, it can be tough. And I can imagine at points, it's been difficult for her. I wouldn't pretend to understand. 
But I would also believe with all my heart that even if it's been difficult for her, she's in the sweet spot of love. Because this is what God has called her to do, and she is following that call. Let me talk to the parents and grandparents for a minute. Have we responded to God's call to offer our children to him to be used as he sees fit? And it may well be that God wants your kid to be a highly productive believer here in Lethbridge or in Calgary or Kelowna or Montreal or Dallas, Texas or something like that. No problem. But it may also be possible that he's put a call on that kid's life to go halfway around the world to the hardest and darkest places of this world to serve in some heavily polluted city that's really dangerous, especially at night, and kind of sketchy. You know, it used to be really easy for me before Debbie and I had our kids to say that to parents. Have you released your kids to do this? It got considerably harder for me after I had my own kids. I was able to do it, but it got considerably... And it got, you know when it got even harder? When my daughter was coming out of school, out of her bachelor's degree, and there was numbers of people tapping her on the shoulder saying, we think you should go and be an international worker. You scored off the charts on your ability to learn languages. We think you should go. It got even harder then. And so dad or grandma... Is it time to get down on your knees and say, Lord, my child, my grandchild is in your hands. Do with them as you see fit. I will pray for them. I will support them in every way I can. I will give sacrificially to see your call fulfilled in their life. Other people here, you should take some serious time to invest in the life of an international worker to get to know them so you can pray, so that you can give, so that you can be involved, not only in sharing Jesus with your neighbor across the fence, but with those people in North Africa or wherever that international worker is. You know, it's so cool because one of the small groups in our church, we got a pile of small groups, one of the small groups has just latched on to Rachel and they're praying for her, they're supporting her ministry financially, they study her emails to see how to pray. They're taking her out for lunch after church today. And when they're, and I know the people in this group, they'll be asking her questions. How can we specifically pray for you? What do you need and how can we help? See, this is when missions really starts to become real. When that flesh and blood person is sitting across the table from you and you're hearing their life and you're hearing how God is using them and how they believe God wants to use them, then it becomes really very quite real. You know, often when we pray for missionaries, we'll pray something like this, you know, Lord, please bless the missionaries in a special way. Now, there's nothing technically wrong with that. But how much more effective is it to be able to pray when you know the person, when you know what's going on in their lives, when you know the specific things that they're struggling with. Remember we talked one of the rescue things that Jesus, when we struggle, when we worry, isn't it, wouldn't it be more effective to be able to pray and say, I know Rachel 
is struggling right now with the fact that she had this knee surgery and the pain and the healing. I'm going to pray for God's specific healing. I'm going to pray for the other specific things because this is how Jesus interacts and changes situations and lives. So get to know some international workers. Pick one. I absolutely believe, and I know from personal experience, it will revolutionize the way we pray. It revolutionizes the way we give. We go, I'm more than willing to give sacrificially because I know what's at the other end of the point of this church. Many of us here should go on short-term mission trips. And I, I've heard all the arguments, well, that money spent, you know, that it, it could be so much more effective if we just put it in the hands of the nationals or whatever. And I know that's true, technically. But I also know this, having been on some of these things, it's a unique opportunity and window for God to speak into your life, for him to form in your life the truth from Scripture that he is a missions-minded God, that he loves all the peoples of the world. And when you smell the smells and see the sights and see the people that you're praying for directly, you catch a fresh wind, a fresh vision for what God has and what God wants to do. So go on one of those. There's people in our church over in Kenya, or Uganda, sorry, right now, even this morning, doing just that. Many of us need to talk to our neighbor across the fence. We need to be their friend. We need to love them in Jesus' name. We need to give them a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. We need to pray for that person by name. We need to pray for opportunities to share Jesus with them. Is missions real for us? It all, no, we're not quite ready, sorry. Usually she's telling me what to do because she's always right, right? So that was quite thrilling, actually. Um, <laughs> is missions, is missions real for us? It all began with a birthday party. A birthday party that went quite wrong on Saturday, June 23rd of this year. It was the birthday of one of the boys in the youth football, they call it football, we always call it soccer, team called the Wild Boars. And part of the birthday celebration was to go explore the Pham Luang Caves. And they'd done this many times before. They were well experienced in that cave. They'd been there. And they only intended to be in there for one hour. And so the 12 boys and their coach left their bikes and their packs and all their stuff at the entrance to the cave. And they went into the cave to have some fun, to explore the cave because they liked it and it was free and all those cool things. But what they didn't calculate was that at the time of the year, because of the monsoon rains, that they would end up getting hopelessly stuck because of the rising water. And they did not emerge from that prison. They were not rescued from that prison for two weeks. So how did they get out? Well, a whole whack of people went on a rescue mission. A whole whack of people. And when the boys didn't return when they were supposed to, mom and dad and all the people got nervous and they quickly found their bikes 
And right away, the nation of Thailand was galvanized and they, they brought a pile of people together. Their sort of their version of their Navy SEALs came and, and people from all over volunteered from the country. And very quickly, they invited the international community in. And on June 28th, people began arriving from all over the world to help in this rescue. And all through the time, they fight this constant, they had to pump the water out as the rain is pouring it in. There's this constant battle against the elements. And I'm sure you saw the pictures on TV of the incredibly cramped spaces they had to go through to get through this cave system to rescue them. And they were looking for these 13 individuals. And on July 2nd, two British divers found them. And you know how they found them? They found an air pocket in the cave. And for these professional divers, when they find, when you're looking for something or someone, when, when you find an air pocket, there's a standard procedure you follow. It's called the three S's. You surface, you shout, and you smell. You surface, you shout, and you smell. And you know how they found them? They smelt them way before they heard them. And certainly before they saw them. 13, however many days it had been in there with no shower facility, they smelt them very quickly. They found the boys. So how do you extract 13 people, some of whom who could not swim, most of whom had no diving experience, through four kilometers of cave system that even experienced divers would have great struggles with. In fact, one of those form, one of those seals, a former Thailand Navy seal, it was so difficult, lost his life in those cave systems, drowned. If that can happen to him, how are you going to get 13 people out of there? At the mouth of the cave, there was a huge camp that was set up. People from all around came to help. They pitched in cleaning toilets volunteers, they would drive the rescuers up and down the mountain to get them to the entrance of the cave. They made food for all the rescuers. Everybody that wanted to help was given a part to fill. Well, on Sunday, July the 7th, they began to pull all the boys out. And I got that story from a, a journal in, in, in the, with, the, I think, the BBC. Or, or, and I forgot to write the guy's name down, but some guy helped me figure all that stuff out. Let me ask you this. Why did a whole whack of people from all around the world come together to this remote little town in northern Thailand? Here's why. Because the lives of those 12 boys and that assistant coach mattered. Those people's lives mattered. You don't make that kind of sacrifice. You don't walk, work cooperatively like that. You don't have everybody using their individual gifting for something that just doesn't matter. And something you hear me say often, I'm going to say it again. Lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. This is why Jesus gave his life for the sin of the world, for the lives of every single person to be transformed. And wherever they're from, I don't care what the color of their skin is, what their ethnicity is, what their, their first language is, what part of the world they're from, whether it's your neighbor across the street, 
or that person up in Edmonton or the people in Paraguay with Curtis and Linda in the Middle East with Rachel in Russia, in Indonesia with Buzz and Myrna. This is one of the values that frames who we are as a church. It changes our priorities, it sets our priorities. And that anyone who has been rescued by Jesus has a part to play in rescuing the next person. What does Jesus say in Mark 16? He says to us, Go into all the world and preach the good news of all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 